morning I want to talk about a phrase that we find in this reading. And it's down there at the end, it's underlined, where it says that uh, they grieved his Holy Spirit. Here in this passage from Isaiah, Isaiah is recounting the good things that God has done for his children, for the children of Israel, all the good things that he has done, his compassion and his loving kindness, and how he fought for them, and he felt their pain, and his affliction was their, uh, or their affliction was his affliction. And he had mercy on them, and he redeemed them. It says at the end there, but they rebelled against him. And they grieved his Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, he turned against them and became their enemy. So I want us this morning to think about the idea there about grieving the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to, to grieve God's Spirit? And I think we can understand what that means just at a very basic level, is that we do things to cause God grief. You think about in the parent and child relationship, when our children do things that make us grieve, they bring grief upon us or they grieve us, in that we've asked them to do things, we've, we, we've been good to them and compassion and, and, lo- and the loving kindness that we show to our own children, but when they turn against us, it's a source of grief for us. And so, as Isaiah lays out here, that they grieved God's spirit by rebelling against him. So there's some things that we can learn from this. And so I want us this morning to talk about how we shouldn't grieve the Holy Spirit. And I've only got just a few examples to pull out here and to show you, but I think we get the idea, right? We don't want to do things against God. We don't want to cause him grief, especially given all the things that he has done for his children in years gone by and continues to do for us today. So let's look at some ways that we can avoid grieving God's Holy Spirit. Starts pretty simply. (laughs) Don't be disobedient. God's asked us to do some things. Let's do those things. Let's not rebel against him like the children of Israel did. So let's not grieve the Holy Spirit by rebelling against him. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, this brings this uh, into the New Testament here about grieving the Holy Spirit. Paul writes there, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In the context there, he's talking about being good to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, be, doing right by them, not being slanderous, speaking um, good things uh, to your brothers and sisters. And in so doing, you won't grieve the Holy Spirit. So being um, uh, obedient to God, this is where it starts um, in, in that relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. And it follows from that is the idea of, you know what? Don't keep sinning. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. It kind of goes without saying, but it needs to be said, doesn't it? That's why the Hebrew writer wrote this in this way. Hebrews 10, beginning verse 26. He says, If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a certain terrifying expectation of judgment 
and the fury of the fire which will consume the adversaries. So those who go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice. What does that mean? That means that God has come. He has sent his son. He has come in the form of a man. He was hung on a cross. He died for our sins. And we come into contact with that redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the obedience, through baptism, the remembrance that we just did through the, the bread and the, the fruit of the vine and, and remembering that great sacrifice. That's what God has done to redeem us from our sins. If we go beyond that, there's nothing else God is going to do for us. He has given us the mechanism by which we can be saved. He has given to us the way in which we can be redeemed. So if we choose to go on sinning, there's nothing else that God is going to do for us if we reject what he has done for us already. Verse 28 there says, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy of the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severe punishment do you think he would deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which we were sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. So don't keep sinning. <laughs> there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. If you choose to reject what God has done for us, he's not going to do anything else for you. He has given to us the way in which we can be redeemed from our sins. And that leads into the what might follow next in, in understanding this is don't reject God. Look with me in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. You know, this um, couple of verses here, this passage here is sometimes difficult for us to understand. Um, the idea of something that is unpardonable or unforgivable. Um, Jesus addresses this. Matthew 12 verse 31 um, actually, back up to verse 30, he says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. You know, God sees things very clearly in black and white. Either you're with him or you're against him. Verse 31, it says, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. And whoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever shall speak against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, this, you may even have a heading in your Bible that says the unpardonable sin or the unforgivable sin. Understand what this means. And, and again, people have a, a difficult time with this. I think it's actually pretty simple. In the context here, if you look back up there in verse 24, it says the Pharisees heard it. They said to them, uh, this man... Uh, Back up a little bit further, verse 22. Then they brought to him, that is, they brought to Jesus, a demon-possessed man who was blind and dumb, and he healed him so that the dumb man spoke and saw. And all the multitude were amazed and began saying, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this man cast out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And knowing their thoughts, he said to them, and he goes into an explanation here about a kingdom being divided against itself. In other words, they were accusing the Son of God of doing things in the name of or by the power of Satan. So 
you can understand that that is a rejection of God, and not only a rejection of God, but an ascribing to God evil where there is righteousness. So if we're going to uh, do that, if we're going to say that God is not acting out of a place of righteousness, but out of a place of evil, we have rejected the Holy Spirit of God. And that rejection, unless we turn from it, unless we understand that that is not the case, then that is unforgivable. We have no hope of salvation if we ascribe to God evil. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 and 11, Paul writes there, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the spirit of men which is in him? We understand that, right? We understand we have a spirit that dwells within us. And that spirit understands us. It is a part of us. Well, the same with God. God God has a spirit. That is the Holy Spirit. And it says, even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. So if we're going to say that the spirit of God is acting out of uh, a place of evil or in accordance with the wishes or the desires of Satan, then we have rejected the Spirit of God. And we have ascribed to the Spirit of God evil instead of holiness. Now, if we're going to do that, there is no forgiveness of that. Because you have rejected God on the very fundamental level and ascribed to him something that is not him at all. He is not evil. He is not sinful. He is righteous. He is just. So if you reject God and cannot get past that, then of course you are going to be lost in your sins. But of course there's hope for that. There's hope in what he has done for us and hope in the salvation that he has brought to us through his son, Jesus Christ. So don't be disobedient to God. Don't reject him. Don't keep sinning. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Something else that we can understand here is that that we don't need to sin against our own body. Your body belongs to God. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Something else that we can understand here. Verses 19 and 20 first. Let's look at that. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. It says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. When we put on Christ through baptism, remember what it says there in Acts chapter 2, verse 38? Repent, every one of you, for the remission of your sins. In the name of, uh, uh, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those who have surrendered obedience and baptism, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And our body is not our own. It says there, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So our body belongs to God. His Spirit dwells within us. So when we sin against our own body, we're sinning against uh, God in 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 a way, in an effect. So don't use your body for immoral things. Back up in verse 12 here of this passage, in 1 Corinthians 6, it says, All things are lawful for me, 
but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will, be, I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Paul's drawing a distinction here about, yes, food passes through the body, and our body uses that for fuel, but that's something that's going to be done away with at the end. But our soul, our, the, 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 the soul that dwells within us and the body that possesses the soul and the Holy Spirit, we cannot sin against that. It says, verse 14, Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also, um, also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a harlot is, uh, is one body with her? For it says the two will become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. So when we are joined to the Lord, we are one spirit with him. So when we sin against our own bodies, we're in essence sinning against God. So don't do that. Don't sin against your own flesh. And these ways that Paul is describing here, verse 17, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Don't use your body for immoral things because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So don't do that. Or if you do, you should expect that there's going to be consequences for that. Look over in uh, the letter Jude, right before Revelation. Small little letter here, Jude, verse 5 beginning. It says, I de Now I desire to remind you, uh, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving the people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who do not keep their own domain but abandon the proper abode, he has kept them in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Those who go against God should expect to be judged accordingly. In verse 7 it says, Just as in Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So if we're going to sin against our own bodies, and like those in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, remember what God did there? He destroyed those cities. Fire came down from heaven and destroyed those cities. And he's making that, that parallel argument here, that those who are indulging in that should expect to um, uh, undergo the punishment of eternal fire. So when we use our bodies for immoral things, especially in the context here of what we're talking about, the sexual immorality, you should expect that there's going to be judgment against that. So our body belongs to God, so don't be using it uh, to commit sin. And if you do, you can expect that there's going to be consequences for that. All this is talking about grieving the Holy Spirit. Keep in mind the idea of a father being grieved by his children. A father looking down and seeing what his children are doing and being grieved by that. Another area that we can look at is to not stir up trouble. 
There's no reason for us to go around and look for arguments. Look with me over in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Lots of places that we can look to, to, to address this issue about uh, not stirring up trouble, not, being not bringing on dissension amongst the brethren, not causing trouble within the church. But here's one example in 1 Corinthians 6, beginning of verse 3. It says, if anyone um, advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words, those of our Lord Jesus, uh, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise strife, envy, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. If we're going around just stirring up trouble, making um, outlandish uh, uh, statements and, and, and just doing it for a fact of, of stirring up trouble, then we're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. It's not what he wants. He doesn't want people going around and stirring up strife and have this morbid interest in, in controversy. It's not what God wants. God wants us to be peaceful and loving and kind to one another. He doesn't want strife amongst the brethren. He does not want that at all. Um, he wants us to stay away from this. He doesn't want us to go around looking for arguments. And this kind of follows from that in the idea here. This is uh, um, something that we, is kind of human nature and it's been around for a long time, don't think that you're smarter than God. Romans 1, verse 22 says, they're professing to be wise, they became fools. It's been around for a long, long time. This is not anything new. Men have always tried to elevate themselves above God. If you look at all the past and the history and different ways in which that comes about. But don't think you're smarter than God. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Look, over with me in uh, Second John. How does this then manifest itself? So if we're, if we're um, like to be contentious, we like to stir up trouble, like controversy, and we think that we're smarter than God, the, 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 the scriptures don't apply to us, how does that then manifest itself? How does that grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, one way here, look in Second John, beginning in verse 9. It says, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. That's the necessary outcome of this. Those who are looking for arguments and, and think that they know more than God, they're going to share that with other people. It's not within them just to keep that to themselves. They're going to go and try to bring others with them and try to bring these false teachings and, and lead others astray. And John is warning his audience here, don't, don't fall for that. Don't even invite that person into your house because you're going along with them in a, in a tacit way by doing that and giving agreement to, to the trouble that they're stirring up. And this also leads us to understand about, about not being a gossip. Look over in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. There's a couple of things here. That's why I put etc. Don't be, 
don't be a gossip, etc., as a child of God. In 2 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 20, Paul writes this way, and I pay attention to the tone in which Paul is, is, is speaking this. He says, For I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you not to be what I wish, and may be found by you to be uh, not what you wish, that perhaps there may be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. You hear how Paul said that? I don't want to find this. Don't let me come and find this. I, I sure hope that I don't come and find this amongst you. In verse 21 he says, I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and, may, and, may mourn, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which you have practiced. Paul says, I hope that I don't come and find this amongst the brethren, and if I do, God's going to humiliate me before you for this very reason. So, don't be looking for arguments. Don't think that you are smarter than God. And, and don't be a gossip. Don't stir up strife and jealousy and angry tempers and disputes. Stay away from that. Why? Because those are things that grieve God's Holy Spirit. I want to leave you with a couple of thoughts from Scripture here as we close. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. There are things that we need to participate in, which are things like kindness and, and love and being accommodating and loving to our brethren and joy and peace. Those are the kind of things that we need to engage in and be a, and be a part of. These other things that we're, we've mentioned today, those are the things we need to stay away from. Why? Because those things grieve God's spirit. Those things cause our God to be in grief. So, in Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 11, Paul writes here, it says, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done, of them, done by them in secret. Think about our language and the things that we discuss. Paul says it's disgraceful even to speak of the things that are done in secret. There's things in this world that we should not even talk about. Now, in the context of, of staying away from those things and, and teaching against those things, yes. But in our everyday language and, and, and the conversations that we carry on, it's disgraceful to talk about a lot of things that go on in the world. Just stay away from it. Verse 13, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it, is, it says, awake sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You know, there's, Paul here is, a, is contrasting the dark and the light, those things that happen in secret, those things that happen in the darkness, those things are of evil. Those are the things that belong in secret. Don't even speak of those things. But when you shine a light on them, they become visible, and the secrecy is gone. And the truth will win out. The truth will expose these things for what they are. They are of evil. Verse 15, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. You know, we live in the world. 
we can't uh, come completely out of the world. We have to live in this world, but we don't have to participate in this world. We can make our way through this world and not participate in the, in the deeds of darkness, those things done in secret. Rather, it's up to us as Christians to shine that light, to expose those things. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but even expose them. If we're shining as a light, then we're exposing those around us who are participating in the evil deeds of darkness. That's the way God has set it up to work. So keep that in mind. And in the context of what we're talking about, if we'll do this, if we'll not participate in these things, if we'll let our light so shine, then we won't be grieving God's spirit. Instead, we'll be doing this. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul's writing this in the, in the context of, of, in Romans 14, about people doing things that would be a stumbling block to their brethren. And he's talking about the way that certain things are eat, uh, like those meat sacrificed to idols and those kind of things, the way in which you eat, the things in which you eat. And Paul's making the point here, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. The things of this world, that's not the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Righteousness, and peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Not grieving the Holy Spirit, but rather being joyous in the Holy Spirit. I hope this has been an encouraging lesson to you. As a, as a parent, we know what it means when our children bring us grief by their actions. How do you think God feels about that? How do you think God feels when he looks down upon his creation and all the things that he has done over the years for his children, leading them out of bondage in Egypt, bringing them into the promised land, putting up with them as they constantly rejected him over and over and over again. Yet he was faithful to them all the way through and, and brought that remnant all the way through, all the way down to, to Jesus Christ himself, sending his only begotten son to die for our sins. What a loving, wonderful, amazing God he is. And think about how he must feel when he looks down upon us and, and we're just going about our life, not giving God any consideration whatsoever. And not only that, but participating in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. How do you think that makes him feel as a father? To look down and see his children behaving that way. Well, I can tell you how he feels. He's grief-stricken. It grieves him to look down upon us and see that. So don't do that. Don't bring grief to our Father, our Creator. Rather, joy, righteousness, peace in the Holy Spirit. 